You are listening to the Badass Bitches for the Badass Bitches, hosted by Kim Coffin, Empowerment and Sexuality Coach with Get Your Sexy Back, and Carrie Hoffman, Align Practitioner with True Performance. Our goal is to bring you uncensored, pleasurable wellness for you, for your body, and for your mind. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so honored today to have a special guest with us. We have Monica Monfrey Scantlebury, and she is a beautiful business coach who has been working through healing and prevention of ovarian cancer. So welcome, Monica. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. I'm so, so honored that you're here really, truly, because you've been on a really, really big journey and like tomorrow is a big, big day. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you again. It's, um, the journey started a few years ago and tomorrow it feels like it's kind of not the end of the journey, but like a Mm -hmm. huge step forward in the healing and in the prevention of gynecological cancer, ovarian cancer, and hopefully breast cancer as well. Mm. Mm, Well, please feel free to go ahead and introduce yourself. Anything you want to share, who you are, who you serve and your journey, what's been going on? Like, give us the whole rundown. Awesome. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Monica Monfrey Scantleberry and I will be 44 at the end of the month. And I mentioned that because it's a huge part of my journey, a huge part of the work I do with clients as a business coach, focusing around taking one side hustle and turning it from being inconsistent to consistent. And I also teach high school, which I think is valuable when you know that I work with people who have side hustles. Um, multi-passions are definitely really important. I started teaching yoga a few years ago and while doing yoga, had a little bit more in tune with you know health coaching and thought about doing that. I actually have a certification from IIN, um, but wasn't you know, really wanted to talk about self-care for teachers, which is so ironic because I have the worst self-care of anyone um, that I know. <laughs> it's Asking me to sit down is like really hard, uh, which we're gonna, it'll go into the story. But so while I was teaching yoga, um, I got a call from my sister. She had fallen and broken her hip a few weeks, uh, a few weeks before this call. And it was just odd at that time she was 27. And she had just had her last, uh, she had four, she's four children and the baby was 10 months old. Um, and they called me cause they just thought it was odd that a 27 year old woman would fall and like break her hip. So when mm-hmm. they broke her hip, uh, when they did the pathology reports, which they do when things like this happen, they found a tumor inside of her hip and she was diagnosed with stage four triple negative metastatic breast cancer at the age of 27. Wow like just such a, you know, such a terrible diagnosis and Kate really came out of the blue. We thought it came out of the blue, but, um, when, after you're diagnosed with breast cancer, they ran genetic testing and found out that she was BRCA1 positive, uh, which gives you an 87% chance of having breast cancer and a 12% chance of ovarian cancer. Of course, then my dad had already passed away, so he wasn't able to test, but then my mom tested and I tested and I was 41, I believe, when I did the test. And uh, so this was December. And my results was that I'm also Rocco one. Um, and so mm. became a lot of choices, right? 
Uh, I never really wanted to have kids, but then when the call comes that like <laughs> now or never, you have to make a decision. And uh, my husband, who's my boyfriend at the time, and I, we just were like not really ready to make those choices, make those decisions. And my sister was really fighting for her life. Um, and it was during that time that I decided I was going to go get health coach certified and start running, a, you know, maybe do more around self-care like I had been thinking about. And her battle was really, really difficult. I chose not to take any action, but to really like support her. Um, even though every like month or two, my doctors, my gynecologist be like, what are we doing? <laughs> I just didn't know. Uh, but then in March of 2020, I think we all know that that month is pretty fateful in so many, mm-hmm. so many ways. Um, and I live here in New York City. So uh, March 13th, obviously, we got called into a meeting. That's a Friday I'll never forget. And it was, you know, probably not coming back next week. COVID's a thing. Uh, and I went to a conference on Saturday, last in-person event. And that's when somebody planted the seed that maybe you should do Instagram coaching. And mm-hmm. I was like, sure, that sounds good. Um, went home and uh, my cousin messaged me on Facebook and said, have you talked to your sister lately? Um, I went to visit her this weekend and she looks really weak. She was in the hospital. She'd gone back. She'd been out of the hospital for a day right around Thanksgiving of 2019 and then had been back in. Um, my husband and I had gone to see her Christmas time in the hospital. And so kind of like called my mom um, and my mom said, yeah, she's, she asked Brad, who was her fiance to come and talk to her. She's like, I think she's kind of like ready to give up. And I said, mm-hmm. well, let me know what I should do. And so that Monday I went into the doc, went into my principal's office and he said, you can go work from anywhere. We're probably not coming back for two weeks. And I mentioned all of this because that was the trigger for me to like really do something. So I flew home to, you know, sit, see my sister for what was the last time, uh, mm-hmm. kind of got stalled and made some commitments to my mom at that point that I would start to take care of myself, but we're in COVID. <laughs> so when I came back, um, you know, work through that loss of my sister, work through diving deep into my business and kind of using that as the, the way to process uh, the loss. And then also to start to think about what my future would be. And, you know, my gynecologist said, so what are we doing? Like, yeah, you're playing Russian roulette. Like every time you've already lost. And I think like watching my sister, she ended up uh, passing away. She was 29 and just watching like that devastation for her family, um, for her sons and for her, her youngest daughter. And so I said, well, all right, I'll do it. But obviously hospitals are closed. And by doing it, I meant I was going to do what's called the self-injectomy, which is where they remove the fallopian tubes, but leave your ovaries and your uterus. So you continue to have, uh, you continue to menstruate but you can no longer spontaneously get pregnant. I had no idea that that's the term. I just thought it was natural, but it's not that there's anything spontaneous about sex for some of us, but like, uh, so I said, sure, we'll do it. And um, the goal would be to keep me menstruating, but they also, uh, some research shows that by removing your fallopian tubes, you lower the chance of ovarian cancer because oftentimes ovarian cancer, they believe it starts inside of our fallopian tubes, which we know from lot, they're like those little tubes or you can't really get into them. Things can get caught. They're not very easily seen uh, during prevention care. And so what that means though, is that you of course have to sign up a sheet of paper that you are sterilizing yourself. So in December of 2020, 
I got my mind wrapped around this and said, I'm going to do it. And we made the appointment and I went to take that fateful COVID test on December 23rd and found out that I actually had COVID. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I, and I always tell the story because, um, you know, it was terrible. Like I was like, I just had wrapped my head around. It was Christmas. We didn't actually know. We didn't get the call until the 26th that it was confirmed, right? Because it said detected, but I didn't know that that's what that meant. So my doctor called me she, on Sunday. She's like, your surgery's off for tomorrow. And I was like, fuck COVID. And I went in and created an offer and made like a thousand dollars selling an Instagram reels class. I was like, nobody's going to put me in the corner. I don't know if you watched um, oh, yeah. Dirty Dancing, but I was like, <laughs> COVID, you're not putting Monica in a corner. So I, you know, worked through this and was really frustrated by it. Um, ended up getting engaged though on January 1st. I said to my husband, were you going to propose to me while I was high on drugs if I had the surgery? Like, does that even count as a yes? Um, and of course my mom was like, just really devastated. Everybody was really heartbroken. And then uh, my doctor couldn't do the surgery in February. That's because I was going to try to do it as a teacher. I was trying to do it on my break. So spring break in March, I said, all right, let's do this. Finally got a negative COVID test. Um, and when I woke up, she said to me, um, I did take out your left ovary. It looked a little funny. So I'm down mm -hmm. to one ovary. Um, and uh, about a week later, she called and said, we need to talk about your results. And that's probably never like a great lead in. Mm. And she said, uh, they found microscopic cancer cells inside your left fallopian tube. Um, it's called a stick lesion. Uh, they're malignant and I, we need you to see a gynecological oncologist. The good thing is we think that they have, everything has been caught. Mm, so, so before that it was just preventative, but then when she went in, she was like, oh, this doesn't look great. And she took both fallopian tubes and left over the first time. Is that right? Yep. So everything is taken, uh, they run the test results and it comes back. So I literally hang up with her within an hour. The gynecological oncologist has called me and like, I'll never forget her words. She's like, you are lucky and you saved your life. Um, mm. So doing some research, I end up being in the 1% of women who do this procedure and find the cancer this early. Most women don't do this because it's not a common surgery, self-injectomy. It's just becoming, within the last 10 years, it's becoming a more common form um, to, you know, to prevent this and to keep women inside of receiving, uh, still having their menstrual cycles, which we know helps keep you, your bones healthy as a woman, helps prevent heart disease. Um, so talk to the gynecological oncologist. She's like, you know, the next move is a total hysterectomy. And I wasn't ready uh, necessarily. Yeah. So she gave me a second opinion. And um, so I talked to my second opinion, gynecological oncologist who kind of agreed, but said, you know, what we'd like to do is do a full PET scan um, just to make sure that there's nothing else hanging out, right? especially because I had a wedding coming up. My wedding was planned for August 10th. And so just, you know, had, went through the whole PET scan, um, MRI of the pelvic region to, and you know, they don't say that you're cancer free anymore. They say NAD, which is no evidence of disease mm. um, because microscopically cancer cells can be anywhere. 
Um, so I received an NED diagnosis in June, um, which she said, you can now become just a stressed out bride. Um, mm. <laughs> so got to focus on my cancer or got to focus on my wedding, excuse me, um, and put everything off until, but she, she wouldn't let me leave her office in June without putting on total hysterectomy date. And that date was October 1st, which happens to be tomorrow. tomorrow. We're recording this a little bit early this month, just so we can get Monica in. Oh, so here I am. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And can, wow. Yeah. I'm just digesting all of it. And I'm sure there's pieces in here that I can't even see that you want people to know to prevent this. So please share where somebody would even start what they might notice and symptom, whatever, whatever. And maybe I know, you know, way more about this than me. So please share it all. You know, ovarian cancer is, um, and my cancer is technically fallopian tube cancer, but so closely related to ovarian. Um, we don't, it's not something that we can see necessarily. So even though my grandmother on my father's side had passed away of breast and ovarian cancer, nobody really talked about it. I I heard those words, but I didn't make the connection that this is something that is hereditary or that can be passed down. And um, so I ended up doing the genetic testing and a lot of women are afraid to do it. And there's definitely some fears even I had around it. Like, what will I do once I know it? Um, It it doesn't affect healthcare because we, you know, it's a pre-existing condition. So you can't, and you can't be harmed by it in your healthcare but life insurance, things like that can change. And so I definitely, um, if you you have these type of cancers that run in your family, whether it's on your father's side or in your mother's side, because men, that's just the thing, men pass down the genes. This isn't just a gene, like genes aren't just passed down by women, they're passed down by men as well. Um, To think about the possibility of knowing what your genetic, um, genetic status is. So I'm BRCA1. Um, BRCA2 is also has an increased risk of ovarian cancer. And then just, you know, if you, if it does happen for me, and I had the space that we're called Previvor, which yesterday, September 29th was National Previvor Day, which is a newly coined word. It means you're, you're able, you're pre-survivor status. Um, and unfortunately, many previvors cross over into thriver or survivor, but the opportunity to be able to make decisions that my sister just never had. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've chosen to go the way of the total hysterectomy, which also lowers my chance of breast cancer. But I still, um, I've chosen not to go the way of a double preventative mastectomy for a lot of reasons, mostly connected to um, that's not a simple surgery. A hysterectomy in some ways is a much more simple surgery. Uh, than the removal, removing of the breast. And also the idea that there is some preventative care that we do have for breast cancers, whether that is mammograms, MRIs, or even self diet, you know, self massage, uh, self breast checks that we do. Um, But there's just nothing right now for ovarian cancer. So knowing this about my own genetics and being able to to take some action, um, it's scary and it's sad. I don't have any uh, biological children um, but I get to have my life and my sister didn't get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Wow. And from what I understand now I'm in Canada, you're in the U S but very similar testing and so forth. Can anyone go get a, a BRCA testing or is it only if you have history of it in your family and it might be different per country, but 
Yeah, I think it's take. different. In the, you can, anyone can get it. It's just a matter of if it's covered. So if you don't have a close relative, and by close, they typically mean um, mother, father, sibling, or I believe uh, grandparents also count, uh, then it is sometimes a cost. And that cost, that cost in the United States is around $800 to $1,000. Um, I was able to, they did try to charge me. And I said, absolutely not. My sister has a positive, you know, she, my sister has stage four triple negative metastatic breast cancer, which means that it's basically a, a condition now. Um, and so it was covered for me under our Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as my favorite president of Obamacare. Uh, so I'm always grateful for that opportunity. Um, it's also been tackled in the media. Um, some people know that Angelina Jolie had done this. She's kind of the most famous person who's talked about it. Um, but in, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show, The Bold Type, which is set here in New York City. Um, mm. But it, it covers these young girls who are working at what would be the equivalent of Cosmo. And one of the characters, mom, passed away when she was 12 years old, I believe, of breast cancer. And she ends up being BRCA1. So it's been something that people are starting to talk about. Um, because we're realizing that breast cancer doesn't care how old you are. Ovarian cancer doesn't care how old you are. Um, so that, you know, it is typically you do it because you have some sort of family history. Yeah. And, and what about for the people who don't qualify for that or can't afford it or whatever? Are there symptoms? How does that come about? What to look for? Yeah, for symptoms for breast cancer, obviously it's always checking to see if you have any lumps. My sister had a lump, but she was breastfeeding. And so she thought it was a clogged duct. And more and more yeah. that I'm inside of the community of the breasties, a lot of younger women who find out that they have breast cancer were doing it while they were, they found out while they were breastfeeding, but they thought it was just a clogged duct. So just noticing if there's any unusual, um, any lumps inside of your breasts. Um, recently, the ACS has, has put out some information that I disagree with, which is that we don't need to do these monthly or do mammograms. And I, I just want to say that like without, you know, my sister, maybe life would be different if she had, if I had not um, been doing some of these before I was 44, I wouldn't be sitting here potentially with, with you uh, for ovarian cancer, um, you know, checking a lot of times painful, uh, painful sex or different ways that you're, um, that you might find bleeding, um, as well as like, uh, oftentimes bloating can be a symptom, um, because we'll say like, oh, I'm just bloated. Um, but the expansion of our abdomen could be that there is a tumor of some sort that is, uh, that is growing. But unfortunately for ovarian cancer, there's the symptoms are, they mimic so many different things. And that's why ovarian cancer is often called a silent killer because it isn't something that is easily tested in the doctor's office. Um, it's, it's very hard. They have not yet figured an easy way to look inside of our feminine organs, which is why the fallopian tubes is so interesting because that's a I'm trying to think like, if you think back to your old bio biology books, like they're not just like a straight tube. They're like, they twist and they turn, they look kind of like the, the highway ramp. And so for me to have done that surgery um, is not normal, but also is what saved my life because this would not have been found any other way. This wouldn't have shown up in a sonogram or on an ultrasound um, or even a PET scan um, or an MRI, like they just can't really see it. So wow. 
Yeah. Did you have any other symptoms at all? No. Yeah. None. I really, uh, I did not anticipate that this was going to be the outcome of my preventative surgery. I thought I was going in. I was so adamant. I said, please don't take my ovaries. I'm not ready. Um, because my dad also had a heart condition. I said, I'm not ready, uh, to, to lose those and to not get my periods, even though, you know, so many of us complain about every 28 days, but, um, I wasn't ready for this. And I, I was not expecting this to be the outcome of that surgery. Yeah. Wow. That is a lot to process for you in 2021 and 2020 and a little bit of 2019, right? Yeah. Like that's less than two years. That's a lot. Life has really changed. I was just thinking about that on Saturday. I happened to be um, in Chicago doing a little bit of work on my business. And I finally got my first massage in like two years. And um, my aunt passed away the same day uh, and her funeral's tomorrow, which I won't be able to attend, obviously. But two years ago, I also had my, my dad's sister passed away of pancreatic cancer, which is also related to the BRCA1 um, mutation. And I was just, as you're mentioning two years, I was just thinking a little bit ago, like in two years, there's been a lot of loss. Um, And I keep on thinking, sometimes I wonder, like, and I think this happens for a lot of us who are pre-vivers, like, why am I still here? I was the older sister. I didn't have Mm. kids. Why didn't it, uh, why didn't I get breast cancer? Why did that have to happen to my sister? And it's why I've been, you know, finding my voice. Um, For a while, I was just in action mode, like, we need to set up a GoFundMe and we need to do this and we need to do this and kind of like couldn't process what was happening to me. Um, so with her passing, kind of finding my voice and my own situation and starting to talk about it because, you know, we don't talk a lot about gynecological issues. It's, it's not proper, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd be one of those not proper people <laughs> because I would literally be an empowerment, sexuality coach, sex, love, and relationship coach. And I talk about sex, pussy, ovaries, cervix, womb, G-spot, all of that, all of the time, breasts, all of it. But there's a lot of conditioning to break through to get there. It took a long time. <laughs> Even for me, like I've been, so I teach at a high school here in Brooklyn, New York, that is uh, a transfer school. So we teach over Asian undercredited students. And many of them are from underrepresented communities. And even as I was telling them I was going to be out for six weeks, I was like, how do I say like it's my reproductive organs without like saying that. And then, um, you know, I kind of would couch it in like my sister had breast cancer. She passed away. And what I have found is the more that I talk about it, two of my students, like we're talking like rough male students, like students who many teachers would be afraid of said to me, my, one of them said, my mom has cancer. She has chemo. Actually, she had chemo yesterday and it changed our relationship. And the other uh, student said like, my mom, she got her left boob cut off a few years ago because she had breast cancer. And I just realized that sometimes we're so afraid to talk about these because we don't know the right words. But these young men, they are going to be how my nephews will be in a few years if they're allowed to like talk about it and process it. Um, and so just, I'd started to give me once they said that. And I said, listen, if I'm looking at these 18 year old young men who I'm afraid to say Uber breast in front of, and they're dealing with their, their moms having this situation, like I can talk about it and say like, you know, 
I'm going to be removing part of my reproductive organs. And then they would say, miss, you're not going to be able to have kids anymore. And I said, no, but I get to teach you and I get to live. And, you know, just being able to like phrase that. Um, but again, I think it, you know, the fear of talking about something that's related to what we oftentimes assume is just a, there's so much patriarchal conversations that we can go into here. Um, tons and tons and tons. <laughs> and let's go. Like we're uncensored. <laughs> yeah. So go all you want. And I think, um, I will say this, like so many people were like, Monica, you need to take out your breasts. You need to take out your breasts. And, uh, I just didn't want to, because first of all, it's not a boob job. So anybody who thinks a mastectomy is like, you get these pretty new boobs. Uh, you don't, you lose, you lose your breasts, you lose your sensitivity. And in my case, I would be losing my nipples. Um, which means, you know, for me, that's a huge part of how I identify inside of my sexuality, inside of my relationship with my husband. And so I just, I'm not ready. Um, and, you know, when I talked to my gynecologist and my oncologist and they were like, you know, you made the right choice because if I had done a mastectomy a few years ago, sure, I might not get breast cancer, but maybe I would have left in my fallopian tubes and had I left those in, that may have turned into a much more severe form of ovarian cancer and ovarian yeah. cancer kills. <laughs> yeah. And you can't find or have a symptom of that or notice like you could by doing regular breast massages or just being very, very comfortable with your breasts and knowing what they feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And you said something huge in there of, um, that really, really hit me. And, and I love that you've done this with your students of just, we have to be allowed to talk about it. Yeah. That one is like so huge. Us be, us, I want to say us being shushed and I merged it all into one word, but us, us being shushed and being, that's not appropriate to talk about. And like, keep yeah. that. That's not what you talk to your students about. Yeah. Why can't we just say, yeah, I'm having my ovaries removed. I have some cancer going on in there. Of course they're going to understand. Um, and there's probably way more stories out there, even in your class that they just weren't ready to share yet. Yeah. That's why I love, I have three teen slash young adults are like 21, 18 and 15. And I am so open with them because I'm actually seeing results of this. Now I heard about it last night. I can't share details because I promised not to, but <laughs> because I'm so open with my teenagers, they're having open conversations with other teenagers friends, so forth, which means they're talking, they're not hiding it. They're not shushing it. They're not being really nervous to ask a question. Like they're talking about everything, right? We can be talking about sex. We can be talking about cancer. We can be talking about abuse. We can be talking about anything. When we start to pull that crap out from under the rug, there's so much more healing that can happen. It's so important. It's, um, you know, I look back and I remember people saying like grandma Monfrey had breast cancer and ovarian cancer, but it didn't really ever like sink in. Like this was something, or, you know, it was more like, Oh, when you get older, like when you're in your forties, I mean, now I'm in my forties, but like, it wasn't something, it was just something you put on the form when you go to see the doctor, it wasn't something that I actually really thought about. Um, and so now it's like being able to have these conversations and, you know, somebody, uh, the other thing I think is really important to say is genetic testing is not uh, something that you is just left if you're having children. Um, somebody in my work said, well, I, I have a, you know, I'm on like, I go for more mammograms, more MRIs because my aunt had it. And I was like, well, you know, maybe you want to consider 
getting a genetic test and she said, oh, well, I've made a choice. I don't want to have any kids. Um, and I just want to say that that's not, the genetic testing isn't for your future um, procreation. It's for your current prevention. It gives you information about mm -hmm. your own body. Um, so yes, a lot of people do make decisions about having children um, because of their BRCA status, uh, but also it's, it's not something that you do because I wouldn't skip it just because I wasn't going to have kids. Um, because again, I go back to the lives that I'm saving are my own life. It's, you know, my mom being able to like, not have to go through this again. And it's hard. She actually, I, I forgot to say that she didn't, she does not carry the BRCA gene. So that means that the BRCA gene that my sister and I um, have came through my father's side. Um, yeah. Which means your sister's children need to be checked as well. And that is such a powerful statement. And again, my mom, uh, my mom has to have conversations with their fathers, which is, you know, they, they live in a very small town in Wisconsin and lots of conversations that are easier for us to have. My mom was not as open as maybe some parents are, but she was definitely more open than, uh, than the parents, you know, than than what my, uh, my nephews have. Um, so, oh, yeah, that's so important though. And it's so not, again, hard. it's not just little girls who need to get tested because the BRCA genes too. And breast cancer can actually appear in men. Men obviously can't have ovarian cancer, um, in most cases. Uh, but there is, I think a famous man that many people forget about is Beyonce's father actually had breast cancer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's incredible and powerful and a lot. And I am just like blown away at your courage to sit and talk with me today, a day before your surgery, like, wow, wow. And wow. That's all I can say. Well, thank you for having me. I just, um, you know, I find my voice sometimes when I'm walking down the street and people ask me to donate to different breast cancer organizations. And I'll oftentimes ask them like, do you know where your money is going to? Is it going to support the research or going to support the families we're about to enter into a month where we call it in the breast cancer community, Pinktober. Um, and it can be a lot. It can be a lot for people. And sometimes they'll say, and I'll say like, I'm actually affected by it. Uh, and it, I remember one time I actually was on my way to a foot doctor's appointment and I just something urged me to stop and talk to this, the person who was asking. And I said, well, you know, it's actually September's teal for gynecological. And I explained to her a little bit about my own status and how like some organizations that people donate money to don't actually do very good things with the money or doesn't get to the people who need it. And, um, you know, she said to me, she said, thank you for, for educating me. I didn't know. And thank you for doing it so nicely. And I didn't actually feel like I was very nice because I was a little bit perturbed if I'm quite honest. Yeah. Um, well but done. Can you share those things then please? What, what, what should we, what do we need to know? Yeah. So places you want to check and see like how much of that money is funding research. So the only breast cancer right now, I know we're here to talk about ovarian cancer and ovarian cancer needs much more research than what we currently have. Um, teal month, September oftentimes gets overshadowed by pink month, October. Um, 
you want to see if they're researching metastatic breast cancer. So metastatic means that the cancer has, uh, it is in more places. The stages refer to how many parts of your body that it's located in. So metastatic, it, my sister had um, cancer in her breast, her liver, her lungs, her brain, and her bones. So five mm. locations. Um, so the Breast Cancer Research Fund, Metaviver, they all are doing research on metastatic cancer as it is Technically, we think about breast cancer killing, it's typically because it was metastatic. Um, other kinds of breast cancer oftentimes can be uh, treated through things like lumpectomies, mastectomies, cancer, and radiation. Um, and that's why sometimes people call breast cancer the easy cancer, and it's never easy. Um, mm -hmm. Never easy. But I, I, so when you're thinking about where you're, you're donating the money, you always want to check and see what is the research and then how much of that. Um, goes back to support uh, women who are affected or families who are affected by breast cancer, or by ovarian cancer. Um, so two organizations that I always love to share about for people who might be listening to this and are part of the community as well. Um, I found a lot of solidarity by joining an organization called the Breasties, uh, which focuses a lot on young women. Um, when I went to their retreat uh, right in May of 2019, uh, I was actually one of the older women there and it was astounding to me that there were so many women there in their 20s and their 30s, many of whom were either surviving with breast cancer, thriving with breast cancer, or were pre-vivers like myself, as well as the caregivers. And then the other organization that I have found a lot of um, support from is called For the Breast of Us, which is an organization of women, generally women of color who have been affected by breast cancer because like any other medical concern, especially here in the United States, fortunately women of color are oftentimes forgotten about and when breast cancer is diagnosed, um, women of color, especially in black women, the mortality rate is much higher than it is in white women. And so for mm -hmm. the breast of us does a lot of support and research um, around communities of color who are working through diagnoses of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, um, and the genetic mutations. Brilliant information. Thank you for sharing. It's so important to know. So important. I appreciate Thank that. You. Oh, I forgot one thing that they also do yeah. is they talk about what it's like to be in relationships and to continue on with your sexuality after going through breast cancer or ovarian cancer, because it does change. It changes how your body receives the touch, how you even want to go into that. For me, you know, it's, it's hard to like see someone love parts of your body that you might are be at war with, right? Like my breasts and my ovaries want to kill me. Um, and so having to work through that. So there's a lot of conversation that happens um, in these communities about how to move forward in your relationship with your body and with your partner's relationship with your body. Um, so that's been something even I've been talking to my husband about, you know, we've had our own struggles with, you know, me trying to manage my own diagnosis and my own like trauma around this and how to be, you know, how to still be like accepting of these body parts that in some ways I am like, you want to kill me, <laughs> but I still love you, but you want to kill me. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a, a duo side to that when you want to enjoy pleasure and sex and, and all of that with your partner. And at the same time, you want to kill me. And yeah, I wonder if we could even reframe that. Is it, they want to kill you or is it certain cells that are out to kill you? I love that reframe. That's so powerful. And cause it's not your brass. It's no. there's pieces. There's, there's 
cells that are mutations that want to take over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, that's been a journey. And I think one of the things I'm, I'm starting to get so much better at asking questions is um, I'm going on my honeymoon in December and I'm very adamant. I was like, the surgery has to happen on October 1st because I need eight weeks to heal so that then I can enjoy um, my honeymoon, yeah. you know, I'm so Those glad you're things. getting that time. It's well, well needed by the sound of your last two years. I'm so glad you're getting that time. I'm excited for it. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm taking six weeks off of teaching to just be inside of this recovery process. And uh, earlier I said, I don't really take very good care of my body. And I think if there's anything I've learned over these last two years is, you know, our body, it will whisper it will shout and it will finally scream that you need to sit down. Yes. I speak to that a lot because my body was screaming at me for like 27 plus years in many, many ways to deal, to listen, to work on trauma, to listen to things that were going on. So I totally 100% agree with you there. Is there any last things you want people to know or you want to share that's calling to you or feeling anything at all? I think it is the other, the only positive, there's lots of positives actually out of this, but life is short. And so I said, you know, after my sister passed away, I, we were all stuck at home and I was stuck even more at home and being able to create something um, that allowed me to still feel that energy. And I know that when I've, I've you know, shown up and created programs and they failed and they've done well. And I've been on lives and people always ask me like, how do you, how do you find the voice? And I think that this is a, something that I is powerful, whether you are working through something inside of your body, your health, or even inside of your business is when we don't share our voice, someone else is dying or someone else is losing out because we haven't shown up for them. And so, uh, I have just been overwhelmed with the responses of people who message me and say, like, because of you, I decided to go take a genetic testing or because of your bravery. Um, and I don't always feel brave. I feel like I just have to do it. But because of your bravery, I am, you know, finding more out about my family's history um, or even, you know, like I had somebody reach out who said, like, things have been great in my life. And you've just shown me that, like, you can run your business through tough times. And I'm, I see that and it's giving me inspiration. And so when we're afraid to speak, when we're afraid to show up on camera, because we might say the wrong thing, um, we're all going to say the wrong things. I've probably misspoke at one point during this interview. Um, but sometimes we're going to say the very thing that somebody else needs to hear to be able to move forward in their own journey. And so I hope that people will find I don't want to say bravery, but inspiration to speak up and to share your stories, whether it's about your health, about your relationships, about your business, um, because there is somebody who is listening and who needs to hear. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Even I needed to hear that today. So, so, so beautiful. Cause sometimes I just feel like I'm sharing my story all the time and it doesn't matter anymore. People have heard it, but no, they haven't. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. We do. We do need to keep talking and sharing and staying in community and not isolating. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so important. Best, best luck to you tomorrow. And thank you so much for sharing your incredible, 
incredible, courageous journey with us. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. It's, it's felt really like easeful and it, I'm ready for tomorrow. And this has helped me be even more ready. Thank you for listening to the Badass Bitches. Please scroll down on your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. We invite you to follow us, join the conversation, and share episode ideas you want to hear more of. On Instagram, follow Kim at GetYourSexyBackCoach. Follow me, Carrie, at BodyAlign. And on Facebook, friend us personally, Kim Coffin and Carrie Hoffman. 